Rethink Retail, the evolution of retail in today's connected world. Welcome to the Rethink Retail Show, your source for the most recent trends and innovations in commerce. Join host Julia Raymond, Global Director of Research at Valtech, a global digital agency focused on strategy and transformation in retail, as she explores the most recent trends and innovations in commerce. This episode of Rethink Retail, sponsored by Valtech, where experiences are engineered. Hi, and welcome to the show. Today, I am joined by Amit Shah, the Chief Strategy Officer and U.S. General Manager at Vtex. Amit has extensive experience investing in, starting, running, and advising software companies on product strategy, pricing, and go-to-market. He previously was the founder and CEO of Giraffe, which was acquired by SAP Hybris. And prior to that, he was the VP of Sales and Business Development for Magento, which was acquired by Adobe. Today, he serves on the boards of Avora, Doodle, Magnolia International, Rock you and Stone Branch. Amit, it's great to have you on the show. Sure. One of the first questions I wanted to ask you is, you know, you were a co-founder of Joomla Tools back in 2008. How did you become an entrepreneur? Before I ever became an entrepreneur, I was actually working in venture capital for seven years, both in Palo Alto and then in London, investing in technology companies. And usually after you give an entrepreneur money, you then get to sit on the board of their company. And every few months you have a board meeting and you ask the entrepreneur how the business is going. And so many times I found that the board meetings had the exact same theme, which was why are revenues not growing faster and why are you spending so much money? <laughs> right. And at some point I thought, how hard can this be? I need to try this for myself. And of course, I discovered very quickly, it's much harder than it looks, right? Just like, you know, every YouTube video makes it seem really easy to plant that tree or put up those curtains. You discover that running, building a company is very, very challenging. And it's a lot different from sitting on the other side of the fence, giving advice and walking away. But mm -hmm. I also found that I really enjoyed it, right? The idea of pushing the ball forward every day and you know, a feedback loop that was faster, right? You send emails, you talk to a customer, you help someone go live, you help them become successful. That felt much more fulfilling than, you know, sitting on the sidelines or in the backseat of the car, right? It's a lot different than giving advice and walking away, but it sounds like you had a lot of fun. I did. And I enjoyed it for a very long period of time, but it also takes a toll and you always feel like the world is resting on your shoulders. Um, mm -hmm. And eventually, you know, we sold our business to SAP. And then for a period of years, I no longer had to worry about payroll or accounts payables or account receivables or pretty much anything. And then I started, again, going back to sitting on the boards of software companies. And that was originally how I met the founders of Vtex. And eventually remembered how much more fun it was actually building a team and helping to build a company and not just sitting on the fence. Absolutely. And, and Vtex is huge in, in South America and other countries and growing rapidly here in the U.S. is my understanding. That's right. You know, we always think of in the startup lad, right? We have this false dream of these overnight successes, right? And the truth is almost rarely is a company successful overnight. And the incredible thing about Vtex is that they're celebrating their 20th anniversary this year. And that should tell us something about the fortitude and the endurance of the founders to continue to build through ups and downs and lots of different economic cycles. And now, in some ways, we kind of feel like we're just hitting our stride, right? So this year, 
this will become a very large triple-digit revenue software company growing and profitable, which are all incredibly rare things in the world of technology and software. And mm-hmm. we all feel like we're just getting started. So it's an exciting time to be here at VTEX. Certainly. And, you know, it's an exciting time for VTEX, but we are going through the pandemic globally. It's affecting everyone personally and professionally. And being the chief strategy officer and kind of sitting at the top and having a bird's eye view of the company, have things been dramatically different? Is business actually doing really well because people are coming to you to boost e-commerce. I see a lot of articles online about that. What's it like? Sure. I always tell people, don't get fooled by fancy titles, right? I mean, in the team we have in the here in the US, I tell everyone my job is to make them more successful, right? It's not to, as you said, sit at the top, but it's almost to be at the bottom of the pyramid and make sure that every single member of the team can contribute and feel like they're achieving their goals. And I think, you know, you mentioned the crisis. I think we've all maybe relearn the definition of what we call the essential worker, right? And we're learning in a kind of humbling way that we're not the essential workers, right? The essential workers are the subway drivers, the bus drivers, the folks driving trucks to make sure food gets to supermarkets and the people at the cashiers, right? Those are the essential workers. And those of us working in software and technology are in this privileged position, right? Where we can work comfortably from home, even though we might have kids in the background, or in makeshift home offices, but we have a role to play to help our customers be successful. And to some degree, I think the virus has been beneficial to our business, right? Many of our customers are retailers. They have lots of physical stores and also an online channel with VTEX. And we're seeing that their online businesses are booming because their customer base can't go to a store anymore. Right. So if they want to keep buying goods or services, they have to go to the online channel. And that's the message I give to our teams that, hey, we're not an essential worker in the sense that we're not in the front lines helping patients, but we are essential to our customers because we're now their only store and we're their online store. And that is bringing in the revenues to keep them, you know, being able to put paychecks for their employees. So for our business, I think, unfortunately, COVID has been, you know, an acceleration force, right? Because even those customers that were maybe thinking about, do we open another online store? Do we build a marketplace offering? They're now all saying, we can't wait any longer. We have to do this now because this is our best chance of survival or growth in this era. Mm -hmm. And you're hearing them say, we can't wait any longer. And in some ways, this is good because it pushes retailers to innovate through online channels. That's exactly right. What we're also seeing is that, you know, our customers that are really focusing on the customer and this idea of convenience, right? You can now buy online and pick up at the store or the curbside or our customers that are sending emails with the WhatsApp channels by which they can buy something. Those are all new creative ways that commerce is evolving in real time to help customers, right? Even this idea of the toy stores where the in-store associate is now literally doing FaceTime shopping with someone to say, okay, what is that toy you want to buy for your kid? Because they're all going crazy at home. So all of this Mm -hmm. is happening as an industry. We're all you know, rapidly finding new ways to make it easier for the customer to buy. And I do like to make the distinction when it comes to 
retailers because obviously grocery is essential retail and comparing it to non-essential retail in a lot of ways is not fair because they're facing very different challenges. Some would say that grocery is facing the positive challenges of having to respond rapidly. But have you seen other ways, like the example you just mentioned with FaceTiming consumers and allowing them to pick out toys that way for their children? Have you seen other examples of this where not necessarily grocery retailers are shifting to either offer grocery products? I've seen that happen here and there or similar. You know, I think one of the benefits of being at Vitex is we have customers in 30 countries around the world, right? So we're seeing basically everywhere in the world, people adapting and creating new ways to be of convenience and of value to their end customer. In Colombia, for example, there's a large restaurant chain called Crepes and Waffles. And their new online offering is that you can order online and you can pick up in your car. Literally, you drive by the restaurant and they give you your order to your car. In Romania, we're working with a company that had their own e-commerce site. And now what they're doing is building a marketplace offering around their native e-commerce site. And the benefit there is that they can offer so many more goods to the end customer without having to deal with inventory or fulfillment. And that's this idea that we think of as collaborative commerce, right? That how do you work together with other third-party goods and suppliers to offer more value, convenience, and service to your customer? And that's probably the biggest trend we're seeing now is that a lot of our customers are calling us back and saying, hey, you know, we sell in one category of goods. How can we increase our product assortment in other categories without taking that inventory risk or fulfillment risk? And that seems to be one of the big areas of growth this year. Mm, so you're saying this company is one example of a VTEX customer that has physical stores in Romania and was quickly able to work with other third parties. That's correct. It's called Minipri. It's a Romanian fashion brand. And now they've launched a set of new product categories around non-perishable food, pet supplies, all these other, mm. right, what became essential categories. And they were able to do it literally in two weeks because- wow using our marketplace, they could just add third-party vendors who had already the inventory in categories that where they were not strong. Two weeks, that is very impressive in terms of response time. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And you know, we're seeing other examples where another boom because of the crisis is around the home office. And now all of a sudden, everyone needs a desk and needs new furniture <laughs> and needs new microphones and better lighting. So they look great on Zoom, right? So these are all examples where all of a sudden, these new categories have popped up and everyone is there searching and even every company is giving their employees the home office budget of whether it's 100 bucks or $500 to outfit themselves because this may not be for a few weeks, it may be for a few months, it might be even longer. And so if you're a retailer, how do you overnight add new categories to your offerings? And that's where marketplaces allow you to be that fast and agile. Mm -hmm. That's really impressive. And just I'm reading a lot recently on the value of marketplaces. For most of our listeners are retailers and vendors, but for some of the everyday listeners, I think there's a little bit of confusion when it comes to, okay, well, what's a marketplace if you're not talking about Amazon or the other big players? 
Sure. It's not an accident, right, that today Jeff Bezos is <laughs> the richest person on earth. He's figured yeah. it out before any of us, right, in that he started with the online bookstore and said, well, if I have my customer here, what else can I sell them? And eventually discovered, maybe I don't want to take all of that product inventory risk. Maybe I should let other people help me. So Amazon, of course, is the most famous marketplace. I think Walmart has copied that. Dick Sporting Goods has copied that. Models has copied that. Now, I think most larger online retailers have started thinking about how do I add more convenience and selection and choice to my end customer and make it easy for them to spend money with us. So I think the marketplace trend is one that's you know, first been accelerated in B2C, but we're also now seeing it in business-to-business environments as well, where the manufacturer thinks not only about selling the product or the equipment, but thinks about what happens afterwards, right? The aftermarkets around auto parts, for example, right? So if you're selling a Volkswagen or a Porsche, how do you make sure that end customer can continue to buy with you, make sure that they're getting parts that are guaranteed and respect the warranty? How do they buy service if they need to? And so they're all creating these new ecosystems that span a longer customer relationship than that initial purchase. It makes sense. You said to use marketplaces to add more choice and make it easier for your customers. So do you think this is the future of e-commerce where most mid to large size retailers will be operating using marketplace models? I think it's always hard to predict the future, right? Uh, It's even harder to tell you when it will happen. Certainly people like Amazon and others have proven that customers want convenience, they want choice, and they want to have a broad selection. And marketplaces make that easy to happen. And I think one of the great things about Amazon, as much as other retailers may not appreciate it, is that they have kind of democratized commerce, not only for the end customer, but also for lots of small suppliers, right? My wife runs an online business. She sells high-performance socks for yoga, dance, Pilates. And one of her main channels is now Amazon in 10 countries around the world. And so Amazon has allowed anyone with a good or a product to reach a very large customer base. And I think that continuing idea of a collaborative commerce world where manufacturers of small, medium, and large can now access any customer is some of the power that Marketplace offers. Mm -hmm. And that's so cool that your wife sells, you said, high-performing socks, like yoga socks on on Amazon in 10 countries. That's, I bet you never run out of socks. You know, we are lucky now because her, you know, when she started her business, all the socks would come to our apartment in New York City and we'd have a hundred boxes along the living room wall. She's now grown to a size where she's outsourced fulfillment and Yeah. I mean, she sells direct through a B2C site. She sells to wholesalers, which are yoga studios. And then she sells through Amazon. And Amazon is incredibly proactive. And every month she gets contacted by another Amazon country saying, hey, we're now opening up the marketplace in Saudi Arabia, in Colombia. Would you like to sell there? So I think, you know, in that way, the marketplace allows lots of different companies and producers of different sizes to participate in online commerce. And I think that's the power of the marketplace offering. Yeah, it's just, I think that there's something to be said here about, there's a lot of supply chain issues going on because of the changes in supply and demand, especially with our manufacturers over in China and the apparel retailers here based in the US or North America. 
And is there a benefit on both the supplier and the retailer side to using marketplaces versus traditional models? The short answer is yes, absolutely, right? Because if you think of the traditional supply chain, you had either the end manufacturer or the product owner shipping to a warehouse or a distribution center. And from that warehouse or distribution center, either it would go to the physical store or maybe there would be fulfillment direct to the end customer if, if it was through an online channel. And certainly we've seen in the last months, people like Amazon saying, hey, sorry, don't send us any more product because <laughs> we have to focus on these essential categories. And I think a lot of the retail stores are suffering the same issues, right? Where if there was inventory in store, all of that inventory is kind of stuck to some degree. And in having a third-party marketplace, essentially you have different ways to fulfill to the end customer. So whether that's the small business that's sending it directly from their home or sending it from a smaller warehouse, now there's less dependence on one supply chain to reach the end customer. So it's offering a lot more flexibility for retailers because they're not just relying on their own infrastructure to mm -hmm. service the end customer. And that could be part of the reason Amazon is doing so well right now in addition to the goods it sells that are essential. If we switch over and chat a little bit about the consumer right now, um, do you see any categories that are doing particularly well than others or vice versa? Yeah, so I think, you know, originally, of course, as everyone has probably gone online themselves to search for toilet paper and hand sanitizer, those were the categories that are probably sold out for the last month. What we've seen now is this shift in psychology away from just the essential goods, because I think a month into this now, Costco and others have caught up and you can go to Costco and get 64 rolls of the toilet paper, right? If you think of the idea of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? They've moved past, okay, I know I can still get food. I know I can still get toilet paper. What do I do with the rest of my time and with the rest of my family for the next six months? So one of our customers is called Eric's Bikes, and they have 35 bicycle stores and a large online business with us. And last week, they had their biggest week outside of Black Friday. So they literally matched wow. their sales from Christmas last week because I think the entire world, and again, I don't know if you live in an apartment building or in a house, but you see all your neighbors now. Mm -hmm. It's surprising how many people there are that actually live in our neighborhoods, but everyone's out there now, right? Either going for walks or as we've seen with Eric's bikes, buying a bike because, hey, I might have six months of this. How do I get exercise? I'm not going to go to the gym. So I need to find other ways to occupy my time and relieve stress and energy. So <laughs> I mean, it's funny you say that because I just thought about bikes the other day and I was talking with my husband. I said, how much do you think a bike costs nowadays? I haven't purchased a bike in so many years. And we live in a townhome, so we have a little bit of room in the garage, but yeah, just, just days ago. Exactly. So Eric's Bikes is, is doing incredibly well, I think, because we're all a little restless at home. We have another customer called Al's Sporting Goods. They have two physical stores in Utah, a very large online business. And again, they're seeing great growth because I think everyone is thinking summer's coming mm -hmm. and this summer I'm not traveling anywhere. So you're not spending it on new bikinis or bathing suits or, but you are spending on things like camping equipment, right? And saying, okay, what can I do outdoors? And geez, I have this backyard and my kids are going to be there all summer long. Maybe I need to buy a slack line and a trampoline. And 
So all of these ways, right, the staycation has become very popular this year. So that's another business which is seeing great growth because everyone's realizing this year we're not going to fly anywhere. We're not going to stay at a hotel. We're staying home and we have the next four or five months, hopefully of great weather. And we have to find ways to entertain our kids and our families. So now we're seeing that growth, right? I don't think we're seeing a lot of growth in people buying fancy handbags because no one else is going to see them. And most of us can do our Zoom calls and sweatpants. So I think <laughs> right. there are certain categories that are not going to get the kind of growth they might be used to. And, and that is difficult because for everyone who had that summer wardrobe or that summer season in mind, well, unfortunately this year, it might be difficult. That's really great though for Eric Spikes and Alex Sporting Goods. And did they do much on e-commerce beforehand? Because you said they had significant Black Friday sales. So they were already pretty mature in that area. They were good online businesses. I think it's hard to say, but the uplift right from the crisis is that now all of a sudden their categories are even more popular. Probably every spring, Eric Spikes does well because summer's coming and everyone's thinking about what they want to do. This year, it's just a multiplier effect because there's literally nothing else you can do, right? right? So, right. <laughs> right, if you're putting off buying that new bike for your kid, all of a sudden that money is available if, you, if you're still fortunate and you're still employed, right? Right. And it's the same thing for the sporting goods industry where you're not spending money going to the baseball game or the basketball game or the hockey game. So all of this disposable income to some degree, will get redirected somewhere else. So even if they had online businesses before, now they're benefiting even more so because those dollars are not going to sporting events or concerts or travel. It's all these categories that overnight have basically gone to zero. That funding and that expenditure is now going into these types of businesses. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I, I think I saw a news story that actually in India, they were re- commentating on really old cricket matches and posting those to keep people entertained as if they were happening in real time. But obviously it was like 10 years ago. And I grew up in Chicago and this week ESPN just released a, a seven part documentary on the Chicago Bulls, and Michael Jordan, yep. that they were going to, you know, they were going to release it in June during the NBA finals, but we don't know where the NBA finals will happen. And so they said, okay, let's put it out now. Right. So, for all the basketball fans out there that want new content for at least a week or two, ESPN has it. Mm -hmm. And did you watch it yet? I, I just watched the first episode the other night. I haven't watched it yet, only because most mornings I wake up at 6 a.m. to start doing phone calls. And so by, by 9 or 10, I'm ready to go to bed. So mm -hmm. I'm saving it for that rainy day. Speaking of, I, I have seen a lot of adults actually in my neighborhood using inflatable pools. <laughs> I mean, kids too, but the adults as well um, being here in Florida, which looks a little ridiculous, but I think people are starting to really get stir crazy, like you said. So, And it makes sense, right? Because hopefully the community pools are shut. And so again, how do you entertain your kids? unless you start spending on some of these areas. So, And I saw a Gartner blog just the other day. They had a, a nice little graph and it broke the pandemic into three sections for how retailers are responding. So it's the res respond phase, the recover phase, and the renew phase. And in the renew phase, they talk about, you know, this is where it's the long-term view. You can get more strategic. There's rehabilitative fixes applied 
to integrate online and physical retail, things like that. What advice would you give to retailers looking at their long-term strategy and how they can minimize risk and do better? By nature, I think humans are optimistic, right? And we always want to look around the corner to see when will we get out of this period, right? And I think right now everyone's talking about reopening the economy and you can go to the hairdresser again and the gym. I think some of that will happen. I don't know if we're all going to feel comfortable going to a shopping mall anytime soon. I don't know if Christmas this year, all the parking lots will be full because we still don't know what the quote-unquote second wave will look like. And Germany, which kind of has probably been the most advanced in things like testing and the lowest number of cases and fatalities, they're opening their stores next week. And I, you know, I sit on the board of a software company in Germany and they sell to retail. And none of the retailers have stopped their digital projects because they all said, you know what, if we're shut for a few months, this gives us a chance to get ahead, mm -hmm. right? Because day to day, we would continue looking at our physical stores and saying, this is where our, our revenue comes from. We have to pay attention to it. Now they've had a moment to take a breath and say, okay, we know the world is shifting online and we can't put it off. And even in Germany, where they're now opening stores, there's going to be a lot of limitations. Everyone has to wear a mask. You have to be socially distancing from each other. And if you think about the level of footfall a retail store needs to have, even to break even on the rent and operating costs, it's not clear that they're going to have that level of traffic for a long time. And so, you know, this software company of mine, we're thinking about, well, how many of our retailers are going to have the same number of stores next year? Because retail, especially in America, where every two miles, there's another shopping complex. We know it's been over retail. We've already seen so many chains close. I think this crisis will only continue to speed that up. I don't think anyone's going to be opening new stores for a long time. We're in this wave now where a lot of folks that were debating how many of their stores they could keep open, it's going to be even harder to justify the financial expense. And they're going to say, well, the only avenue where I can reach a large amount of customers is going to be online. For better or worse, we have this window of time, whether it's the next three or six months, without some of the distractions of retail operations to really focus on, okay, what's going to be the digital strategy going forward? Because the longer we wait, the further behind we'll get. Absolutely. You said that some of the retailers based in Germany, they're saying, we know it's shifting online and we can't put it off any longer. So they're investing heavily in their digital projects, even though the stores are going to reopen. That's right. Because they, they know that I think what we're seeing in many of our countries, one of the things we track is new versus returning customers, right? It's a very popular metric, even Google Analytics. And what we're seeing is this huge growth of first-time customers and first-time visitors. And I think for a lot of those people in many different categories, they're going to say, wow, this is really convenient. I didn't have to leave my house. I didn't have to get into a car. I don't have to deal with anyone. And a few days later, the product shows up at my front door. And I don't know that all those people are going to say in a month, okay, let's take a risk and go to a store. Mm -hmm. I think there's a whole new wave of people that are saying, I'm not coming back, right? I'm not going back. This is much easier. It's much more convenient. And the product is always in stock. 
all of the frustrations and disappointments we've had with physical retail largely are eliminated online. And so I think, you know, it's a turning point for our industry if there hasn't already been one. Sure, I could definitely see that. And I think the focus, like you said, there's a huge element of convenience that people might enjoy more than they thought they would when it comes to online shopping and not risking going into a physical store. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think there's been a lot of literature online of, are we going to end up with only three retailers, right? Which are Target, Walmart, and Amazon. I think the answer there is no, in the sense that consumers, and again, I'll speak for American consumers because I grew up here, right? I think we value choice, right? We value authenticity. We value, even to some degree, having the sense of a relationship or a community with the people and the places that we buy from. And I think, yes, Target is amazing and their stores are beautiful and there's lots of choice, but I don't know that I only want to go to Target or Walmart. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, we're seeing lots of small businesses that have grown largely online in the past five or 10 years. And now until the last few months, right, they've started opening physical presences to continue to build and deepen the relationship with the end customer, whether it's people like Bonobos or a way that's doing luggage, they've all said, hey, we want to have our version of a guide shop or a brand experience that allows us, allows our customers to learn more about us. And I think it's just a question of how do you express that retail environment in a way that's interesting and fun? And it doesn't just feel like a the online shelf. And I think, so that's the opportunity for retail places like Nike town, which are fun and interesting to go to, even if you don't want to buy a new pair of trainers. So I think that's the opportunity that retailers have to create a compelling experience in which shopping might be part of it, but not the only reason to build a store. Great points. And I agree. So thank you, Amit, for joining today and sharing some of your insights. I really appreciated having you on the show. Thank you very much for your time. And I hope you stay well. You've been listening to Rethink Retail. For all the latest news on commerce and trends, join the discussion, rethink.industries.com.